Good morning, <clears throat> and thank you for your welcome. Uh, special greetings also from Smithfield. Uh, that's the southwest of Sydney, not north. Um, and we definitely feel their pain. Uh, we, we, the last time there was a break, it started off in Wetherill Park, which is the suburb right next to us. It started in a Thai restaurant, uh, which is uh, one that we go to. And uh, someone in our church is best friends with the owner of uh, the Thai restaurant and had dinner with him the week that it all broke out. So uh, we know how they feel and we can certainly pray for them. Uh, but thank you again. This is the lazy man or the lazy pastor's option. We've swapped so that we can preach our Christmas sermon here and then carry on preaching next week as well. So thank you for letting me do that as well. Why don't I pray and we'll come to our text. We're looking at Anna. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. We thank you that uh, you have not left us alone, uh, but rather you've given us your word to uh, shine light into our dark lives, into our hearts. Uh, Lord, we do uh, recognize so much that they can just be words, and we don't want that to be so, and so we need your Holy Spirit uh, to come and uh, to mix uh, your very words with faith, and we pray that it would produce faith in our lives. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at Anna uh, this morning, and um, you might be sitting and wondering, hang on a minute, it's Christmas, why are we thinking of this lady Anna? I know hardly anything about her. Shouldn't we be considering Jesus? So what's special about Anna? What great thing has she done? Well, um, really nothing. She hasn't done much special, uh, but Jesus comes to her, and, um, and this is why we study her, because we look at how she responds uh, to Jesus when he comes to her. So let's try and learn from her uh, and from her account, and um, the first thing we need to pick up is she teaches us uh, something about God's greatest priority. Uh, Jesus is only eight days old, and uh, as it is the custom for Jews, he's come to the temple, and uh, imagine if he was born in Dremoyne, and uh, he and Mary and Joseph came in here, uh, who would you make sure was at the door to greet uh, the family? Um, if it was a temple, you would want the high priest, wouldn't you? Uh, if not, you'd want uh, at least... Uh, a Pharisee like Gamaliel or a scribe who had studied the Old Testament so well that he could say, I can see the promises of God uh, in this man or in this baby. Mary and Joseph would be congratulated and you'd say, uh, you know, congratulations to you. We've been thinking all these other families would bring the Messiah, but to you, uh, God has been gracious and you've... Uh, uh, brought forth the Messiah. Uh, but, but none of them were around. Uh, all there was was one old bloke and one old lady. Um, the old bloke is so close to death uh, that as soon as he sees Jesus, uh, he announces that he's ready to go. Uh, and he says something along the line of, I had only one thing left on my bucket list. And, and that's to see Jesus. And now that I've seen him, uh, in verse 
29 of Luke 2. He says, uh, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Uh, humanly speaking, you'd have to say Simeon was useless, wouldn't you? Uh, he couldn't start up a new Jesus church. Uh, he couldn't write a book. He didn't have time to go and do a tour to make sure everybody heard about Jesus. He couldn't even produce a short video on YouTube because, as you know, YouTube didn't exist. Um, you could say the same thing about the lady who was there as well. Uh, the lady is Anna. Um, I suspect she's younger than Simeon, and she's either 84 or 105, depending on how you read the text. Uh, she's a widow, and she was married, but she only was married for seven years. Uh, and she comes from the tribe of Asher. Asher's a little bit like Smithfield. Uh, it, it's, it, it's really like one of the decimated or lost tribes uh, of uh, Israel. Um, 700 odd years before Anna, uh, God judged the northern tribes of Israel, the ten tribes, and brought the Assyrians in, and the Assyrians smashed them and um, took them away as captives mainly to be living in colonies, and I suspect Anna was in one of the Assyrian colonies. Uh, but if she wasn't, and if she was one of the people left behind, well, they were forced to intermarry or assimilate and become this multicultural society that were no longer really known as Israel. They were called Samaritans. And we know Samaritans are on the nose as well, don't we? Well, Anna had no real spectacular life experiences that we know of. Uh, we doubt she even had a family to raise. Uh, she never ran a business. She didn't fight in a war. She didn't teach in a university. She wasn't a lawyer. She wasn't a politician. I doubt she even traveled. Now, why would you want to listen to Anna? Why would you want to study Anna? Even if she was a prophetess, does it really matter? Uh, well, we were introduced to Anna in verse 36, if you turn in your Bibles. Now, there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple. Uh, have you ever had a more unspectacular introduction? Even I got a better one this morning. Uh, but, but this woman is at the greatest event in history. She meets the greatest person to walk this earth. Um, she actually gets to be one of the first people who sees uh, the one person who will bring about the greatest event in history. It's going to divide the calendars. It's going to change nations. Um, and she's right there. Uh, if you want to pick any event in all of history and say which event brings the most glory to God, well, this little baby will bring about that event. 
Um, you know, the, the name Anna, it means grace or favor. And instantly, uh, we've got to agree that, that she has found tremendous grace and incredible favor in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, and she teaches us something about the modus operandi of God. She, she shows us something about God's strategy in his dealings with man. Um, his normal strategy is to find the most insignificant person and do great saving acts. He, he uses small people like virgins and carpenters to do his greatest saving work. This is how God gets to himself the most glory. And glory matters to God uh, because he deserves it. It's right. Uh, Paul, he's writing to the Corinthians and he's a little bit rude uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians. In verse 26 of chapter 1 he says this. He says, uh, look at yourselves. Look around the room. And then he says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Now that's in the first chapter. That's not the way you really want to start a letter when you're writing to someone, is it? Uh, he's saying you're not the elites. You're, you're, you're not in government. You're not a czar of a multinational. You don't run Apple or Facebook. You're not an elite sports person. Uh, you're not an entertainer. Look at yourself. You're a nobody like Anna. And it shouldn't shock you. Because, you know, uh, Jesus has a track record of making sure he chooses. Um, nobodies like you and me. He delights... Jesus absolutely delights in hanging out with those whom this world considers a total reject. Smelly shepherds and irrelevant Gentiles brought the first gifts to this baby. Uh, it's just a pattern. And Paul picks up on this. And he becomes even more offensive when he's writing to the Corinthians. In verse 27, he says, God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things to put to shame the things which are mighty. Uh, he said, you're not noble, you're not smart, you're a fool, you're weak. Um, but why does God do this? Why are you and I so important in God's economy? Why, why does God take an interest in you and me? Well, he's deliberately going to use the weak things to bring down the mighty. He's deliberately going to use the foolish and the unwise to teach the elites a lesson. Uh, there'll come a day when all who are mighty and all who think they're great of this world will see as we see today 
that the only person who deserves every bit of glory, the only one who should get all glory is God. Uh, we don't need to try to be successful. We don't have to try to be powerful. I don't need to try to be even popular. And I think the way I've started this message, I've achieved that, haven't I? All we need to do is humbly rely on God. All we need to do is obey God and trust him. We need to try to bring as much attention to God as possible. Because bringing God glory is the right thing to do. He deserves every bit of glory. Once again, let me use Paul's words to bring this all to a head in the first point. Verse 28, he says, And the base things of this world and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring the things which are, that no flesh, no flesh, should glory in his presence. You see, Anna teaches us God's greatest priority. His greatest priority is not you. It's his own glory. And Anna aligned herself with God's priorities because God's glory was Anna's priority as well. And we see this not in the good days. We see this in her trials, which brings us to our second point. Our second point, Anna teaches us how Jesus' people respond to their trials. On the 2nd of December, Joe Biden announced that he's chosen an all-female senior communications department for the White House. Four out of the seven women are women of colour. Uh, that should impress you. And why is that so important? You might be asking, well, Joe Biden told us. Let me quote what he said. Communicating directly and truthfully to the American people is one of the most important duties of a president and his team will be entrusted with tremendous responsibility of connecting the Australian people to the White House. He went on to say these qualified and experienced commentators bring a diverse perspective to their work and a shared commitment to building this country back better. I don't know if you've picked up in the last 10 years, everybody's falling over themselves to make sure women are in leadership positions. I don't know if you've picked up how many companies have boasted about the fact that women are now running the companies. Uh, governments boast about the fact that women are well represented in their cabinet. Um, if you're watching sport, uh, if you like rugby league, now women are telling uh, the men how to play. And yesterday, it got even worse for me because I was watching cricket and India was being smashed by Australia and this might shock you, but I actually do go for Australia. Uh, and there was an English woman telling Indians and Aussies how we should play. Um, you see, if you have a woman running the company, it's more credible. If you have a woman leading in some way, it's ethical. Uh, if you only have blokes, well, there's something wrong, isn't it? Uh, you can't trust these blokes. They could be corrupt. Um, 
they'll engage in inequality one way or the other. They're racist, they're misogynists, and they even can't help themselves when it comes to sexual sin. Um, today it's a badge of honour if you can somehow make sure there's a woman in charge. Not so in Anna's day. In Anna's day it was the opposite. Uh, men ruled the roost. Uh, men had the paying jobs. Men owned the farms. Men managed the businesses. Um, whilst women would care for kids at home in an unpaid capacity. Uh, women looked after the homes and got to eat at best. Um, men were leaders of the kingdoms and men had the leading positions in the temple. Uh, you'd have to say it was a man's world, wouldn't you? Uh, so here's this woman, Anna, and she's a little girl growing up and all she wishes to be is married to the right man. And all she hopes for is to have a little family that she can raise. And her greatest dream is that she'll reach her old age and have grandchildren and have a big Christmas party, even if they tell you you should be locked up. Um, but this was not so for Anna, was it? Uh, she got married, but she lost her husband within seven years. It's highly likely um, she would have had kids, but it seems like her kids have even left her if she did have them. And it's more likely that she didn't have kids. So assuming she got married at the age of 20, she was on her own from the age of 27. And I can tell you, a woman from 27 onwards, on her own, living in Jerusalem, from the tribe of Asher, I can guarantee you she was on the nose uh, for pretty much all of her life. Certainly life was on the up and up when she got married and looked like she would settle down, but, but she ran straight into the ceiling and crashed. Um, now she's 84 years old or 105 years old, and she's had no one. No one to live with, no one to support her, no one to just go for a coffee with down to the local cafe. Um, she, she was on nobody's A-list. How would you respond if you lost your spouse? Uh, what, what if you lost your health or your home or, or your job? What if you had to cope in a culture that really didn't want to give you a job or didn't care less about you in your state and you somehow have to find a way to support yourself and live alone for the rest of your life? What if your circumstances were painful for 57 years and even more? But Paul warns widows, doesn't he? He tells widows, when he's speaking to Timothy, he says, writing to Timothy, he says, a widow's life's not easy. He says the best thing is that they marry again. Uh, if it's not possible, he warns extended family that you should look after widows. 
Um, but, but he also qualifies how much you should look after them. He says if they're young, uh, don't look after them too much to the point that they could be idle or lazy. If they're hardworking, if they're generous, if they're caring of those who are sick, well, of course you look after them. Uh, you see, he never says go get a job because it's so hard for them to get a job. It's almost impossible. Instead, he says, if you look after them too well, all they're going to do is tempted to become gossips. They're going to hang around you and want to know how you feel. But really, all they really want is to get something juicy, a little morsel. And they'll be on their smartphone within seconds texting the world and telling everybody. Uh, they'll be blabbing things they know they should never blab. Uh, you, you see, trials can change a person, can't they? You could be going really well for seven years and then you hit a ceiling, like Job did. We heard this morning on the devotion in the car. And losses can have a, a horrible impact on our lives. They can even impact our spiritual life. Trials can either bring you closer to God or trials can actually be this incredible temptation to sin. Self-pity can creep in. Bitterness can be part of your life. You can get immobilised and think, why did God do this to me? And I've been such a good bloke. We can reject God, and rather than turning to him for comfort, we go to the world. We go to our jobs, we go to our local cafe, we find comfort in Netflix, we find comfort in comfort food. Um, not so for Anna. Anna's priority, I'm sure, was her husband when her husband was alive. But once she lost her husband, all her priorities were rearranged. In grief, and I suspect in incredible grief, she was drawn to God. In the bitterness of her circumstances, she cried out to God. Uh, rather than run away from God, she ran to God and clung to him as tightly as she could. Uh, let us read again, uh, verse 37 and onwards, just to see something about how she responded to tri trials. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. You see, she made worship her priority. Uh, if that wasn't all, she denied herself. That was another priority. She fasted night and day. She devoted herself to prayer. She could have devoted herself to revenge. We don't know. Maybe her husband died in an accident and she could have spent her life blaming the bloke who was involved. She could have devoted herself to blaming God. Uh, instead, she devotes herself to being more committed to God. She, she made glorifying God her priority. She wanted to bring attention to God with her life. Difficulties didn't stop her going to church. It was quite the opposite. Difficulties drove her to church. How do you respond to trials? How do you respond to an injustice done to you? or an accident, or a loss that happens in your life. 
Well, Anna teaches us how Jesus' people respond to trials. And the third thing, and the last thing we pick up, is that Anna teaches us what uh, Jesus' people hope for. Um, Anna served God really with all her spare time. Uh, if you once again go to Paul and say to Paul, Paul, uh, give us a little comment on Anna. Uh, she's at 84 years or 57 years on her own. Tell, tell me what you think of her. Uh, Paul would say she's a great example of singleness. Uh, she uses all her spare time to serve God. And he'd say to you, uh, I wrote about this. I wrote about unmarried men and unmarried in 1 Corinthians 7, go read it, verse 34. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy in both body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And he says it twice, really. He says it once to the men, then he says it to the women. But then he says something like this. He says, it doesn't really matter if you're married or single. Well, your marital status doesn't matter. But if you're going to choose whether to be married or whether to remain single, make your choice based on one criteria only. That, that your status will only help you serve the Lord without distraction. In other words, whatever your circumstances are, find a way to serve the Lord without distraction. Let me put it in the negative because we seem to grasp the negative better, don't we? Don't use your circumstances as an excuse. Don't say, I can't serve the Lord because of this, that or the other. And didn't Anna have a bunch of excuses? I mean, how many excuses can you think of for Anna? I can think of a hundred if I had time. But instead of making up excuses and finding a way to run away from God, she drew near to God. She hung out with his people. Look at verse 37 again. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Can you feel the intensity of her desires this morning? The psalmist, if you went to the psalmist and said, tell me something about Anna, he'd say, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so does Anna's soul pant for the living God. Uh, notice how she responds when she sees God in the flesh, when she sees little baby Jesus. When Jesus comes into the temple, Anna sees him, and she's overwhelmed with excitement. In verse 38, and coming in, that instant she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Jesus comes in, just a baby, and her heart leaps. She sees Jesus and she can't stop thanking God. Simeon's bucket list is exhausted on the one hand, but for this woman... This 84-year-old woman, she's probably got a walking stick and she gets to the front, has a look at the baby and the insides of her combust. Imagine if you said to her, 
Hannah, sit down now and just write some words for a song. What words do you think she'd say? Well, she might say something like this. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing and sing it again. Uh, but, but this is not all. She, she instantly goes off and starts to talk about Jesus to all her mates. She, she finds out this new discovery and it's so exciting. She brings them all in and says, I want to talk to you. I want to tell you about this baby. This little baby I saw, he was carried by a virgin. Oh, she gave birth to him, by the way. And she came with this carpenter. And this little baby's going to redeem Jerusalem. And I imagine you're one of the people listening to that story. I don't know if I can believe that. An 84-year-old woman, her eyes are a bit weak, no family, no job, no life. All she thinks about is herself all day. Maybe she's got this all wrong. And she's from Asher. Well, hang on a minute. Now can you hear the crowd? Someone from Asher? This woman from Asher, who's going to come and tell us that she knows the Redeemer, the Redeemer of Jerusalem, this is fake news. You see, Jerusalem was already looking for a Redeemer. Half of Jerusalem were already invested in the Old Testament looking for who the Redeemer was. They, they knew the Old Testament promises like the one we read uh, this morning. God's going to come to Jerusalem and he's going to comfort. He's going to comfort them and he's going to be their consolation. But, but in verse 10 in Isaiah 40, the prophet tells you what this comfort is going to look like. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See his reward is with him and his recompense and his recompense accompanies him. Now, now how can I match that story with this baby and this virgin and this carpenter and this old woman from Asher? I mean, surely this woman is this baby or this redeemer, this sovereign Lord's going to come out of Jerusalem and he's going to deliver us from the Roman Empire and the Roman king. And if he comes out of Jerusalem and Judah, well, it's going to be one of us that made the announcement, not one of the Asherites. They were unfaithful. They were spiritual adulterers. And that's why God smashed them. How come they now get involved? You see, if there's going to be a king, he's going to be coming from the Pharisees or the priests or the elites. He might come from the Sadducees. A carpenter? Hmm. An Asherite? No chance. How could a baby uh, defeat Caesar's army? Well, you see, Anna was not speaking of that kind of redemption at all, was she? You all know that. You've been taught in this church for years. 
she saw Jesus and she knew he's God's king who's going to cut loose, literally cut loose his people from a slave master. Uh, she knew the little baby's going to deliver all of Jesus' people from a dark kingdom. Uh, this little baby would save his people from their sins. Um, the baby would grow up and deliver his people from Satan and his kingdom. And she probably even knew the same baby's going to grow up and die and rise again and defeat death. Yeah. And once again, if she was going to tell her mates, come on, I've just written a song. Let, let's sing it together. It would go like this, wouldn't it? No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. You see, Anna responds to Jesus with thanks. In faith, she bravely goes out and announces his arrival. She doesn't care what other people think about an 84-year-old Asherite. She doesn't care what people think about a baby born to a virgin and a carpenter. When she gets to her mates, most of her mates are hanging around the temple anyway. And uh, they are like her, looking and hoping for the day that Jesus will come. They just want a little glimpse of Jesus. Verse 38. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for the redemption in Israel. Let, let me finish with just two little reflections. Uh, first one is a, a parent uh, actually, no, let me go back. Uh, let me do one as a pastor of a church in Smithfield. I'll do the parent one later. I can't do this back at Smithfield because the kids are there. Um, at Smithfield, we have a lot of old people in our church. And we started with pretty much old people. Um, they live their lives, if you go to get to know them, they live their lives for 80 and plus years and had lots of trials and lots of difficulties but it's a little bit strange you know they come to church with the same excitement uh, that they did 57 odd years ago despite all the difficulties of their life um, they, they seem to be more committed than the young people for some reason uh, we've got a building project and I've got to ban a few from the church. Uh, during COVID, they didn't have jobs, but they were at the church most weeks doing work in the garden. I, I, I don't know. Just looking at them, you sort of think they're a bit useless. But I, but I suspect uh, a church exists in Smithfield today. I, I suspect I'm at Smithfield today. Because all these so-called Annas fasted and prayed and wanted a church to be in this place at one time. And we should thank God for Annas that are in our churches. The second thing is, by the way, get to know them if you're not an Anna, if you're young. And you'll hear how God bears people up through trials. 
The second thing is as a parent. As a parent, you sort of wish your kids will just do a little bit better than you, don't you? Yeah. And you really get excited when they do better than you. You look at their school reports and they achieve more than you and you think, yes. Uh, you go and watch them play sport. They might not like your sport, but the fact that they play better than you is, is great. You won't love it. Uh, Anna's dad is Faneuil. Um, he's dead now. Anna's, say, 84 or 105, and he's not around. But, but you could picture Faneuil if he was alive. He'd want Anna to be better than him, wouldn't he? And if he was watching Anna, he'd be saying, oh, she's not really turning out to be much. You see, Faneuil's name means the appearance of God. And you see, if you're Faneuil, your hope, your parents' hope, was that you would see God. And he'd be spending all his life hoping that one day he'll see God. Well, at this 84th year, he'd know that Anna's living exactly what he was hoping for. He'd have a little smile on his face or possibly tears in his eyes because his hope was for the appearance of God. His daughter's hope was that and she actually got to see God. And I've got to ask you this morning, what's your hope this morning? Is it that at Christmas you'd love to get that iPhone 12 with a brand new account on Facebook so that you could have your new persona up there? Uh, Anna teaches us what Jesus' people hope for. The hope for Jesus. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you again uh, for your word and for this lady. And thank you again for, uh, Lord, your spirit and uh, most of all your saviour who uh, you sent. And this wonderful time where we get to think about him and his wonderful work of salvation for sinners. And Anna's like uh, all of us here. Uh, praise you for your work in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.